Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might, have this wish I wish tonight. Send me a vapid, uninteresting love interest to push the plot forward. Or, I don't know, how would you guys describe Claire Danes? What are you talking about this whole time? I thought you were talking about the guy that plays Tristan, Charlie Cox. He's the wet noodle of this movie. Claire Danes is great. That's it. This podcast is over. satirists and welcome to swords and satire the movie podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mokul here with my intrepid co-hosts i'm jack a traveling merchant please don't call me the g word <laughs> I know my culture is inspired by the Romani people, but let's not talk to Neil Gaiman about that. <laughs> and I'm Chelsea, a lost star just looking to get home. Well, That's guys. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, this week we watched 2007's Stardust, directed by Matthew Vaughn, director of uh, such. Well-known films as uh, The Kingsman, wow. Kick-Ass, and wow. X-Men First Class. Oh. <laughs> no, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the film is narrated by Ian McKellen, who is not Patrick Stewart, which is what I thought <laughs> at the beginning, so I must have had my Magnetos and my Xavier's cross. Uh, this movie stars Charlie Cox as Tristan. You may know Charlie as... Pretty much just Matt Murdock on the Netflix Daredevil show. Um, also, Claire Danes, born sexy yesterday as Evane. And, oh, that uh, was her name? I never knew that. <laughs> just Evane, I guess. I thought she was they the kept, star. Yeah, they just kept calling her the star. No, her name was Evane. Oh, I missed that. Incredible. I thought her name was Danes. <laughs> Claire Danes. Uh, we've also got Robert De Niro as Captain Shakespeare. Michelle Pfeiffer as the witch Lamia, Mark Strong as Septimus, and uh, you got a, you got some Peter O'Toole's and your Henry Cavill's sprinkled in for good measures, your Ricky's Gervais. But hey, we don't want to just go through the cast with no context. I think Chelsea's got a summary ready to go. Yes, totally ready to go. Something I prepared ahead of time completely. Like a professional podcaster. I hope yeah. it's just more cast names. <laughs> <laughs> we would make and it like the Bible. <laughs> oh, no, right. Oh, Sorry, gosh. No, it's true. I'm even in that part right now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Who begat whom? <laughs> I just remember reading that in Sunday school. I don't remember what book that is, but. Begat. 
Hoofstative begat Nimrod. <laughs> Man, would, wouldn't it suck to be, like, to have your name go down in history to mean a total moron? Yeah. Like Nimrod? Yeah. Oh, He's a boy. pretty cool guy, too. Good hunter. Hey, tell me about the character of Poindexter. Oh, God, no. So, let's set up this movie talking about the real protagonist. Ian McKellen? Apparently, it's Evane. So, mm. Evane's minding her business up in the sky, shining mm-hmm. at night like stars do, hanging out with her friends and her sisters and brothers and what have you. Now, do they All co- other stars, by the way. Do they communicate being millions and millions of miles away from each other? Like, do they have special star telepathy? I was thinking uh, telepathy, yeah. Okay, okay. Telecommunications. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of telecoms. That's how, oh, those, it's stars communicating as telecoms to us whenever we're getting solicitous calls. Oh, Man. No. <laughs> the stars really want to talk to us then. The stars are fuckers. I didn't know that. So she's just up there mining her P's and Q's and... <laughs> Suddenly, some stone hits her, knocks her out of, uh... Orbit? (laughs) Fucking yeet that bitch out of the sky. (laughs) Out of her orbit around the black hole at the center of our galaxy. That'd be if she was a planet. And so she's falling to Earth. There are... Oh, by the way, there are, uh... There's a magical realm and a normal realm. And they live... They're side by side, separated by a stone wall that nobody ever bothers to repair. Think we'll learn about what's the deal with that? Nope. Never. Whimsy. Oh yeah, it is the principle of whimsy. That's basically the explanation for it. You can't repair the whimsy wall. <laughs> if an old so, beardy man tells you, it's gotta be true. Yeah. She falls to the earth, luckily on the magic side of reality, because Whew. she maintains her uh, visage as a female human being and um the next she's kind of passes out for a little bit i mean it's it's tiring work falling to the earth you know so the next thing she knows some noodly doughy faced young boy barely a man our perspective character you're mine now uh tristan who she will later learn is his name uh does she ever crashes into her and Fucks her up again right after she woke up. Yeah, one trauma followed by another. Then he claims that he's going to capture her, enslave her, and bring her as a gift to some woman that he's lusting after who doesn't even like him very much. Setting up some slash fic that I'm sure the um, viewers of this movie were ready to start writing. Lusting after is a very uncomfortable phrasing of it, but it it stands. So he puts some kind of magical chain around her so she can't get away. The same one that was used to uh, enshackle his mother, right? Yeah. More later. And he drags her all over the country while she's injured, by the way. Yeah, she's limping, and he's just like, oh, well, doesn't matter to me. Keep on moving. (laughs) Meanwhile, there were others that saw her falling to the earth, namely a trio of witch sisters who feed off the uh, hearts of stars. It gives you, it's like (laughs) eternal youth and vigor, but they do need to 
it would be eternal, that's what it is, unless they uh, use magic, which uses up their life force. Yeah, yeah it gives you liver spots. So yeah. the reason it doesn't last is because they keep using magic, and so they need to keep eating the hearts of stars, but it only works if the stars fall to the earth in the magical side of reality. Um, and eat rocks. So they're trying to go after the star, too, to cut out her heart and siphon its life energy. Seems like a reasonable use. Cut out a lot. They're also pursued by potential heirs to the throne of a kingdom. I didn't bother to remember. Of Stardust Land. Yeah. <laughs> kingdom of the... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's how much it really mattered. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't they, matter. There, there are a bunch of brutal barbarians. In yeah, this they, they. Yeah. It's a group of brothers that whoever is the surviving person gets to be the king. So they just like kill each other off, and the the stone that hit this star woman, Evane, that she later wears after it crashes to earth, the earth with her is the stone that will legitimize one of those surviving heirs as the new king. So they won't be able to claim their position as king unless they have the stone. So they're pursuing her because she's wearing it and she has no idea what it is. The setup for the brothers also lets us see Peter O'Toole at his utterly hammiest acting, which is pretty great as he's like talking about how he wants all of his sons to kill each other until only one of them survives, just like he did with his brothers. A wonderful Living into the family business. Yeah. So, they do have one sister named Una, who they haven't seen in many years. Uh, spoilers, it's Tristan's mom. Who we meet in the beginning of the film. Yeah. Una Matata. And, um... <laughs> what a wonderful phrase. So, they're, they're trying... Tristan is trying to force Yvain back to his hometown just called Wall. Uh, because it, it, it borders the magical realm, uh, which is separated by a large stone wall. That's so Neil um, Damon to name the town wall. I know. <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't mention that this movie is based, loosely based on a Neil Gaiman comic. Uh, it's, it's a, a novel. novel. Yeah. So, but then. so that's where he's trying to take her to give her to the woman he loves who doesn't give a one iota for him. Victoria. Victoria, that's right. In a gross subplot. And um, they eventually are captured by pirates who are led by uh, Robert De Niro's character Shakespeare. Captain Shakespeare. Captain Shakespeare. And he that's he's like one of the best characters of the whole movie. We'll get into that more later. Uh, he eventually befriends them and helps uh, grant them passage close to the market town, which is the town um, on the magical side nearest the wall. And they get there. Uh, Yvaine eventually succumbs to Stockholm Syndrome, and she and Tristan sleep together, and they she falls in love with him, and he loves her to the most extent that I think he's capable. <laughs> and then, the most that a man-child can possibly love another. Right. And a being that's thousands of years old. <clears throat> I've never had a girlfriend that was three-dimensional. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my God. 
So he sneaks away to go back to the other side of the wall, to his hometown, to just shove it in Victoria's face that he's met somebody else. And she's just like, okay, whatever, dude. But he leaves a message with the innkeep, who is the worst message giver of all time. Oh, yeah, where, where he was staying in the market town with Yvain. Uh, He's like, okay, tell the woman that I came here with that I'm going to deliver a message and I'm coming back to you. And the dude is like... Oh, yeah, he's going to go tell uh, Victoria how much he's in love and blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on. This was this is a very avoidable uh, plot contrivance. Yeah. So, you know, I think some people who have been here before who have kind of fallen in with somebody that you thought you liked or, you know, a coercion aside that you, you thought was one person and realized was another, you can't fault Devane for feeling... Pretty depressed when she thinks Tristan has just abandoned her after he slept with her. And she kind of walks around in a haze and seems to be walking towards Wall. And if she goes into the normal side of reality that we all inhabit, she'll just turn into dust. It doesn't appear that she knows that either. She doesn't. And then before she can cross over, she's actually stopped by... Una, Tristan's mother, who saw her walking in that direction. But then <laughs> they are stopped by Lamia, who gets there at the same time. And who, uh, she's a powerful witch, so she basically threatens them and forces them into her carriage, and she takes them back to her house, where um, she and her sisters are going to be sacrificing the star, Evane. And Tristan comes in at the last second. Yvain, at this point, by the way, is, is just kind of lackluster. She's she's given up on life. <laughs> what do you mean at this point she's lackluster? Hey. <laughs> she's given up on life. She's super depressed. I mean, she she shouldn't be feeling this way over somebody like Tristan, but... I really don't um, notice much of a difference between her at this point or at any point in the movie. <laughs> it's not her fault, you know... She, this was the first person that she was able to be intimate with, and they, she thought they betrayed her, so. Yeah. Also, when Tristram, when Tristram is pretty hysterical in these scenes, I can't tell the difference between him here or in the other scenes of the movie either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The acting so, is all pretty one-dimensional, except for Robert De Niro. Yes. So, yeah. So, um, when he comes in, he fights off the witches, he kills the two sisters who had stayed behind before, and, um, battles the queen. We'll talk more detail about this scene later. He battles the, the kind of queen bitch, and then, um... <laughs> Eventually saves Yvain, and she's just kind of cost? head over heels for him and doesn't really understand that she maybe shouldn't be having these types of feelings for somebody who had enslaved her. and um, Or who was so petty to, like, his, the woman that he is basically leave like, disinteresting himself for her. Like, when he goes back to Victoria, he's just, like, being a total dick. Dude, yep. he just got laid. <laughs> he's like, I have all the confidence in the world. And then and eventually so he's a jerk. he learns that when he touches the 
stone that she ha- that Yvain was had a- having around her neck it turns red which indicates he's the true king because remember Una was one of the daughters of Peter O'Toole's kingly character so and that means of course Tristan is a viable heir to the throne and since he was the first one to get the pendant even though he had no idea what it was his mother Una tells him that it means he's the new king so he becomes the new king of this magical realm, and Yvain becomes his queen. Eventually, maybe she'll realize that she was enslaved. Maybe that could be our um, rewriting history. That's the summary right there. Are you telling me that the boring, poorly motivated, very uninteresting main character of this movie is actually a very significant heir to a royal throne? I would have never guessed that in a million years. (laughs) Wow. Bingo. (laughs) Well, now with the summary out of the way, I guess it's time to get into the bulk of the show, where we talk about themes, critiques, uh, making of um, the stars that we see in the sky. Holy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we kind of heavily alluded to this in the summary, but I was being facetious. I mean... No. The, the uh, main character of the film and the way it is communicated is Tristan, but he's a moon-faced wet noodle. Can you say that? <laughs> moon-faced? <laughs> I've never heard such an expression. It's an old term for somebody who's has a round face and who's kind of pasty. And, and who stares at you in the night. <laughs> <laughs> like Not unlike a star, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Stars and moons. Do you think that was a purposeful uh, casting choice? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he's just a really terrible person that doesn't deserve to rule over other people. He's selfish and petty. So petty. And, um... You've seen his family. He's actually pretty evil. His dad seems pretty nice. Yeah, but his grandpa was not nice. His first instinct... Now, that's like his great uncle, ...is to enslave a woman that he just met who's injured. And she even... (laughs) Yvain points that out to him. And he's just like... He's just like, yup. Yeah. He's like, let's go. <laughs> I'm trying to get laid. Sorry, Star. You're mine now. Not a cool I was move. Like, Who the fuck is this movie made for? Um, the general <laughs> population? Wow. Well, then I'm disappointed. Constantly. <laughs> You're going to be my girlfriend's slave. Hell yeah. Yeah, huh. boy, just imagine if he'd taken her through the wall before he knew what was going on. He just, like, incinerates her and she turns to rock and he's like, that bitch! <laughs> oh my god, I know. It would have been a very different ending. Yeah. But yeah, so I didn't feel like he deserved to be the main character, so I wanted to write him in the summary into a supporting role, even an antagonistic role. Because that's... <laughs> really what he was. <laughs> so you're saying that Tristan is the real villain of this oh, movie. Oh, that'd be oh, so yeah. good. He, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> so this is more of a Infinity War Thanos scenario. Oh, nice. He's coded as the hero, but there's no reason why he should have been. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's very heavily flawed. There's supposed to be a lot of character growth for him. Nope. Throughout the film. The growth is that he realizes he loves her and wants to keep her around. It's still selfish. I think we get more growth out of Henry uh, yeah. Cavill's character who's on screen for the grand total of like two minutes. 
who goes from like kind of brave and then we find out he's a coward and that's literally more growth than Tristan goes through in the whole movie. Not, I guess he gets some confidence. Yeah, he it's does. It's not Charlie some Cox's unearned fault confidence necessarily, you know. No, I don't think it's any of the actors' fault. I just think he and Claire Danes didn't have a lot of chemistry between them, but that oh, happened. Oh, zero. Zero percent chemistry. Yeah. But, but Claire Danes I, was shining so much when he was around. <laughs> Yeah, so whenever uh, Yvain uh, feels true joy, I guess, she starts to glow yeah. like a star. Exactly. Very cute metaphor. And, I don't think that's um, how suns work, is it? When when they get happy, they, they burn brighter? No, it's how loud they scream. <laughs> yeah. Also, shouldn't she be filled with, like... I mean, this should have been, like, a, a Fifth Element thing, right? Which is, like, the original... Or not the original, but oh, the, I see that. one yeah. of the classic, like, born sexy yesterday tropes oh, that geez. this movie builds on. Like, shouldn't she have the power of a thermonuclear, you know, like, a, 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 the power of a, of a sun, basically? She does, and she shows that at the end. <laughs> when she shoots her and Tristan into the sky to uh, live together, putting each other, like, millions of miles no, away from each other. The way they defeat the witches at the end is... Oh, she does go supernova, that's right. But he's fine. <laughs> yeah, she's like hugging Tristram, and she's like, "Be careful, hug me tight, close your eyes." I was kind of wishing that they would like that the light would go down, and he would just be a burned husk in her <laughs> that arms. Been Retelling history: when he closes his eyes and hugs her, she stabs him in the back for <laughs> kidnapping. <she> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. She ties an unbreakable chain around him and then turns him into a slave. Oh, God. oh my god. Yeah, but she starts glowing a lot, you were saying. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think Jamie mentioned that. Yeah, she goes supernova. Oh, she's... yeah. She goes supernova, and the witch... Um, just gets cooked. She's just obliterated, but Tristan is totally fine. Somehow the building around them isn't, like, you know, turned into a crater. Yeah. No, it might have been, like, radiant damage, and the <laughs> witch is, like... Like super susceptible to radiant damage, maybe. And just, sure, maybe. Yeah, she pops that. like a water balloon. By the way, yeah. audience, she like literally like a water balloon. <laughs> well, yeah. I want to. I, I mean, I know we're kind of like starting at the end here, but I want to talk about like Lamia's terrible um, gambit, where she's like, you know, her sisters are dead. She's looking at them. She's freaking out, going, "Oh, like just I'm done. Leave me." I want to, you know, my sisters are dead. I'm not going to try to pursue you anymore. And then two seconds later, she's like, psych, going to try to kill you now. It's like, did they have a different ending plan for this? There was going to be like a redemption ending for Lamia. And then they changed it after test audiences didn't like that. Or like, what was the point of that ploy? Like it didn't, it lasted for half a minute. It didn't add any real tension or there's no character development. I've got headcanon for this, right? Okay. She was in melee range, and she's a caster. So she was like, just go, just go. I, I'm not in this. I'm so sad. But she was about to stab him with a knife. Yeah, maybe she maybe she was doubtful. Because he's a pretty good sword fighter. And so maybe she was like, oh, what if he deflects my blow? He was unarmed. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, who knows? <laughs> maybe he had like a, a lucky feet or something. But uh, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, he gets within distance of her ranged magical attacks when she makes the mirrors or the windows explode inward and hit pelts the main two protagonists with flying shards of glass. The protagonist and her antagonist. Yes. <laughs> Who's brainwashed her. Yeah. It's, uh, let 
Tristan, he's a very Neil Gaiman main character, I think. A very, like, anxious, low-confidence, like, average British guy. (laughs) The main character of Neverwhere is the same way. The main character of Anansi Boys is the same way. And, uh, Definitely not American Gods. No. No, not American Gods. But it's kind of a trope he likes to use sometimes. Well, in that way, he is similar to Gaiman's other characters, but he's also different because his first instinct upon seeing an injured woman is that he's going to enslave her because he thinks she would be a nice gift for somebody that he loves. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty different from Gaiman's other characters. He's He's... Kind of evil. Uh, I'm not sure if he... If he's we're gonna... evil and he thinks he's a good average person. Yeah, it's true. Ah, oh, it's we the were... evil of mundanity. Yeah. If we were gonna evaluate him for the... And maybe we will for the villain phase. Yeah. Uh, I think he might be more stupid than evil. Oh, yeah. Because I, I don't yeah. think he considered he was gonna bring her as a slave. I think he was considering just forcefully bringing her to Victoria, and he didn't even spend any time considering what Victoria might do with this information or what would happen to her after that point. Tristan's not what I'd call a thinker. No. (laughs) That's very true. I think he has all dump stats. It's true. He's creative, but uh, without any... Yes. Because when he was romantically chatting up Victoria at the beginning, he's like talking about how... He was going to, like, walk all around the world and, like, bring her, like, chocolate from the new world. Or, you know, just examples. He's like, I'd bring you gold from, like, El Dorado and stuff like that. That's true. And she was into it. And she was going to kiss him until he said he'd bring her a polar bear's head. And she was kind of revolted by it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he... He has thoughts, but he doesn't filter them. He has thoughts. He he does think, but... Possibly the best description we can have of Tristan, he has thoughts. Yes. Yeah, but I don't think he had any actual plan with what was going to happen to the star once he brought her to Victoria. He was probably just going to be like, thanks, star, you can go now. When they were in trouble, they have this thing called a Babylon candle. That's how he got to her in the first place. It's something that's a it's a black candle. If you burn it and think of somewhere you'll transport there basically. And he convenient way to travel. It's like the flu network. Yeah. He thought of he was supposed to be thinking of his mom to reunite with her cuz I was she left the Babylon candle to him as a gift when she had to give him up when he was a baby. So he uh was thinking about the star instead and that's how he got there. And then later when they're so in they're about to be very um, killed by the witch who's pursuing them Lamia the first time, um they he burns the candle. He says to think of home. So she she thought he meant in the sky, so she was thinking of that, and... Yeah, think of home. Obviously, I mean my home, because I'm the center of the universe. So they end up in the clouds, and they're standing on clouds. Like you And do. he calls her a stupid cow. <laughs> Not cool. Not yeah. a cool thing to say. Not accurate in any way, shape, or form. No. She is a star, not a cow. <laughs> 
Although we do have the people who are goats. We have a person turned into a goat and a goat turned into a person. Yeah, and she's not stupid either. Uh, When they're in the clouds, that's when they're captured by the pirates. Captured, quote-unquote. They're airship pirates, and they're they're um, lightning harvesters. I'm really glad you brought up the pirates, because they're one of the most important keys to this movie. Yeah, okay. They unlock this movie. As you begin to study the pirates, you begin to unlock the hidden messages within oh, this film. Oh, that's great. I want to hear about this. It unfolds, and that's when you realize... I think you're Uh-oh. about to tell us. ...that just Uh-oh. like every other fantasy movie, this movie is all about class struggle. <laughs> now, you see, here's the thing. The pirates in this movie, yes. pirates generally being... If you know about actual history, pirates tended to be rather brutal. Um, oh, yes. They tend to be glorified a lot in movies, and this movie's no different. Yeah. But, you know, Lovers. these are um, people who have taken themselves outside of the traditional capitalist system Mm -hmm. and out of the social hierarchy, yet they kind of recreate their own uh, new class and uh, their their own new class system and uh, they build new hierarchies. So you've got Captain Shakespeare, right? He's a... Now, clear... Uh, To remind people, that's De Niro. Robert De Niro. And, I mean, absolutely the best performance in this entire movie Agreed. like you can see charlie cox and claire danes realizing that this is what a real actor looks like yes. yeah when we were watching the movie their stunned faces as they watched him perform i was saying it's the actors actually reacting to seeing that somebody really who really knows the craft yes so de niro is playing captain shakespeare yeah. a exterior on the exterior he is a gruff brutal pirate lord who rules over his men with an iron fist. Oh, no. The reality is he's a kindly, civilized, and effete gay man, I guess? I mean, in, in like, and by that I mean in, like, the traditional Hollywood sense of, like, performative flamboyant flamboyant femininity. Not that, you know, whether or not that reflects reality is a completely different thing. He liked cross-dressing. Yeah, he liked cross-dressing. Yeah, he he liked to cross-dress, and, and like, you know, that was how he felt truly, um, you could see that's when he felt really like he was being himself, was in the cross-dressing scene. He seemed the happiest when he was... Yeah. Yeah, like he was being himself and happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, he and his he and his crew have this kind of unspoken agreement where yeah. he and, and you know it's not sure if he knows all the the details of it because he doesn't necessarily know that they know his re, you know what he's really like, but they do know that. But they like the performance that he puts on. They appreciate his gruff piratey act, yeah. but they love him regardless. Arr, arr. Arr. <laughs> they, and they respect him. <laughs> so, you know, you've got this crew of pirates who are accepting of a, you know, a person who would traditionally be othered. A, this is what he was afraid of, and that's why he wasn't being uh, completely open with, uh, you know, just who he is. But his crew like and respect him anyways. Yeah. Yeah. They've created their own system that is very performative, but it works for them. They are, I would say, the most... The pirates are the most, I'd say, civilized, like, in the traditional sense. They're the most progressive, yes, but, like, they're portrayed, you know, he's listening to classical music. Oh, yes. They're... The the pirates are able to outfight a trained fighting force. Royal you don't see guard. this. You don't see this very yeah. often. Yeah, 
the 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 pirates actually fight off Septimus's royal guard and Septimus and Septimus. You don't see that a lot of times in films where yeah, like the has... villain, the quote one of the villains guards aren't like the best of the best who can just take out everyone else. No, the pirates are able to defeat them. They're you know they're and and piracy. You know anybody who knows about real life piracy is you had to be a strong captain to rule over a pirate ship because it is kind of this true anarchistic society where, you know, it can be ruled by consensus of the group, but, you know, you have a person get put into a position of kind of management, but it's very easy to mutiny against that in a lot of cases. So you have to have real respect. And we see in the movie that Shakespeare has the respect of his crew He's a negotiator. He's a cultured man. He's a, he loves the theater and everything. So he is, for many of the viewers, one of the most relatable characters. But he's also this kind of complicated character with a you know a, a gender identity that is not usually portrayed in films. It's not usually portrayed very well. And you know we could argue that maybe it's not portrayed super well in this movie, or maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Whatever. I'm not really getting into. The weeds on that, I will not speak for uh, an audience that I am not able to yeah. represent well, myself. Okay, so he, he is kind of playing it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's very performative. I'd say performative femininity. Sure, but uh, I think there were only two instances where it could have been a bit dodgy. Uh, mm-hmm. The first being Septimus's reaction. Yeah. Where I think he's shocked. He seems kind of disgusted, and then he quickly just starts committing acts of violence against Shakespeare. Yeah, that's what I was remembering, too. He um, had a disgusted look on his face. He said, what the hell is going on here? When he saw oh, um, right. Shakespeare in women's clothing. And then um, he started trying to attack him. Yeah. He was planning on attacking him anyway, though. Yeah. But so this actually goes... Now, I didn't get a chance to that get to this true. before. But this goes into my whole point about how class is portrayed in this movie. Because Septimus is a royal, right? He's supposed to be the upper echelon of society. He's really the most one of the most barbaric characters. And you know, the, his whole family line, his brothers are all about backstabbing and killing each other and that yeah. goes back to his father. Meanwhile, the pirates, the people who are outside of the usual class system are again portrayed as the most civilized. They're cultured, they're they're uh you can negotiate with them. They're all, you know, Shakespeare's a very reasonable person. Yeah. He doesn't want to do violent acts. He is he's living in a society where violence is often the currency of accomplishment, but that's not his style. He's a negotiator. He's a firm negotiator, as we see like with Ricky Gervais, he's not like giving an inch, but he doesn't want to resort to violence if he doesn't have to. He's really not a fighter. At all. No. His men are tremendous fighters, obviously. Never shed a drop of blood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. his own blood. We, we see Shakespeare get beat up and Yeah, and that's bloody. true. Also... Which is a troubling scene in, in some regards. We forgot to mention, Shakespeare and his whole crew know how to ballroom dance. Yeah, again, see? They're very, they're portrayed as very cultured. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They, Meanwhile, the, the royal society is barbaric. Yeah, it's true. They're pushing each other off of buildings, hitting each other with axes, burning each other to death, things like that. 
I mean, it's the same with the witches. Lamia calls herself the queen of the witches. And she is also kind of... She's similar to Septimus in some ways. Yeah. She's violent and manipulative. So you see how this movie is taking all these shots at these so-called elites of society. Yes. While meanwhile kind of lionizing the people who are often denigrated. I think that's also very Neil Gaiman. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Although I don't know how much... Game and had to do with the actual uh, screenplay. Probably um, the, little the, or nothing. The parts of the uh, movie that we're talking about are pretty closely tied to the book. Oh, well, I'm surprised. Yeah, at least with the way the characters are portrayed. The only character that actually, that I can remember that is the most different between the book and the movie is uh, Captain Shakespeare. He's not a queer person. Really? Yeah. But that's like our favorite part of the movie. I know. That whole part is just part of the movie. What? Yeah. Oh my goodness. And it, it changes the character entirely and it is the most dynamic part of the movie. What the heck? He's the most likable character. With the most depth. Yeah. He's the most charismatic. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so much going on there. He has the most growth, too. Yeah, definitely. Because he learns to trust other people more, and he learns that he can be accepted by others, and that there are people who can be his community even when he comes out about who he is and what his identity is. He even gives the most depth to other characters because everyone else who accepts him, that adds another side to that. what kind of person they are. Yeah, it's true. So I guess that actually adds much-needed depth to Tristan, who accepts him. Yeah, yeah, he actually becomes a better person after meeting and getting to know Captain Shakespeare a little bit. Marginally. Very, it's very marginal growth. He starts to understand that other people aren't just a, a, an extension of himself and his own needs and that they they might you know just maybe have you know their own wants and desires he's he's going through the freudian stages of development just you know like 20 years too yeah late. he sees that people have other sides to them he's taught like some more cultured stuff how to dance how to sword fight he yeah, learns some compassion. Taught, yeah. A little bit of compassion. Compassion. He learns that it's not okay to enslave women the moment you meet them and to try to give them to the girl that you're trying to woo. It's true. He also learns fashion, too. Compassion and fashion. He looks much better. The, the two actions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Before this scene, you know, moon-faced little baby boy. <laughs> and then after this, he's like, ooh, swashbuckler, who's he? As yeah, soon as he gets that, you know, that boost of confidence he needs through the uh, hair enlongening comb that Captain Shakespeare has. Yeah, he goes, he gets the confidence to tell Victoria to eat his ass. <laughs> and then, oh, I guess he is a millennial. And then dab on, <laughs> dab on Humphrey. Yeah. yeah, Mr. Steel, yo girl dabs and then leaves. I think we need to talk about Humphrey just a little bit since it is Henry Cavill and since he's about to be uh, gracing the fantasy genre in The Witcher. Um, yeah, just give the shout out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fun character in this. I think Humphrey is a pretty fun um, portrayal of this kind of cocksure townie who like thinks he's hot shit until tristan shows up with like one sword fighting move and then humphrey's like nope i'm out of here you see the thing is is that humphrey is the kind of character that would normally be the protagonist he's handsome he's confident he is handsome he is 
kind of middle class. Attractive. He, Handsome uh, and attractive. He's mm-hmm. brave, at least on the surface. He seems brave, yeah. Sexy. You know, he goes on adventures. So it's typical Neil Gaiman um, move to kind of go left of normal <laughs> and to choose somebody who's not the typical protagonist. In this case, a selfish little baby bitch boy. How but... can I save the day? I'm just a store boy. <laughs> right. Yeah, another class uh, commentary, right? With uh, the main, you know, the yeah, main character true. being a uh, store boy. A store boy. <laughs> There's another word for store boy. A clerk. Uh, he yeah, calls a himself a store boy, though. Oh, okay. He's a clerk, though. We should talk a little bit about the magic of the film. Like transmogrification of goats. Ooh. Yeah, we mentioned that earlier. Uh, Lamia turns a man into a goat. And then, and then a, a goat, goat into, into a, a Weasley. Into a man. <laughs> and she turns the man goat into a woman. Holy shit. But doesn't so there's the a lot voice. of transmutation magic. She also turns her carriage into an inn. That was an impressive bit of magic. I'm surprised she didn't get more liver spots from using that spell. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, she starts to age a lot as she's using magic. Um, and She rubs she her does, jewel. Yeah, she rubs her ring and it's like sending. Uh, she can send messages to other reflective surfaces. So she speaks to her sisters through a mirror they have. I feel like every scene in this movie could have also been the start of a porno. Hell yeah. <laughs> Probably. It's kind of true, actually. She can wield fire, green fire. Green flame, yes. Evil flame. <laughs> um, Is green the evil flame? Warcraft taught me so. Oh. Oh, yeah, good point. Is she a fell mage? Oh, my God, rewriting history. <laughs> so, um, we also see one of the sisters, uh, heat metal at one point. Oh, yeah. man, heat metal's got to be one of the most commonly used spells in all fantasy films. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. And, and another major uh, type of magic we got to see was divination magic, which was really cool. Oh, man, very, yeah. Very prevalent. Rune casting. Runes. There were different... Oh, yeah characters who carried runes with them and threw them to uh, see how they laid and to determine directions and to determine what might happen in the future. So it was used for... A lot. Didn't the sisters also use horror specs? They read entrails, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. So I think before we move on to the next section, there's just one thing I want to leave you all with, is that my assessment is that this movie would fail the Bechdel test hard. Oh my god, you're so right. I also wanted to actually put one last magical thing out there. The Babylon candle, I'm pretty sure the most important magical item in the movie. Is it teleportation or just fast travel? Fast travel. Fast travel. And, uh... And why doesn't it liquefy the people that it's fast traveling? Magic. Oh. Yes. Uh, it works on the non-magical side of the wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Gaping plot hole. Zero out of ten movie. I did not catch that. That's good, Jack. Yeah. Does he use it inside the wall? He uses it in his attic, and he his dad is, like, a little bit shook after he does. <laughs> I was, like... I was thinking the dad just looked kind of nonplussed. I was thinking he was all, like, in his head, oh, well, he's gone now, because it looks... From well, his dad's one last perspective, mouth to feed. it just looks like Tristan explodes. Yeah, it... 
And so, <laughs> his dad just looks a little nonplussed, and so I'm just like, well, he's just like, well, I don't have to hear his shitty complaining ever again. Well, he's traveled by Babylon Candle himself, right? No. So. No, he hasn't. Oh, he hasn't? No, he does he, not know what it is. He only <laughs> went to the market, which was right on the other side of the wall, essentially, and then walked back, and then when Tristram showed up as a baby in a basket, he came with the Babylon Candle. And his dad, who's played by the same actor who plays Prince Caspian in the Narnia series. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah, also have Rupert like, Everett in this movie, who's in Narnia. Nice, yeah, yeah, there you go. And uh, yeah, the Babylon candle works in the non-magic side. Also, his dad was given this glass flower that offers protection and good luck, which saves Tristan from spells for a big part of the film. That was an interesting um, plot device that I feel like didn't really go anywhere. It's explained way better in the novel. And then how did he get it back? Because he's just like suddenly wearing it again. He gives it up to the to the one witch with the bizarre name that I can't think of. The one who's enslaved Tristan's mother. Piss puddle dickhard. <laughs> yes, piss puddle dickhard. I'm pretty sure uh, Claire Danes steals it back for him. Okay, see, so it was but it was so convoluted. I didn't even. Doesn't I wasn't even aware like... of the. T- Get over him getting it back. Doesn't she get out like a Glock and like pistol with her? What? And, like take the <laughs> flower back? She's like, here, Tristan. I thought she I couldn't even touch so her. Much. She can't, but I, I think that curse might have been broken at some point. Oh, yeah, there's also the curses that um, Lamia can cast, like preventing the other witch from being able to see, hear, or interact with Yvaine. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Lamia, like, has, like, a Harry Potter magical duel with this witch where they're both, like, shooting their energies at each other. Yeah. And then she, like, fucking blasts the one witch's head off. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Then they pick the flower back (laughs) up. Decapiomancy. That yeah. part was pretty brutal. And then Claire Danes pistol whips the body. <laughs> Expecto can fuck off. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, the body's, like, twitching around and even runs into the wall and falls down. Oh, God. <laughs> Little physical comedy with my decapitation. That's how I like it. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. yeah. Hey, that's magic for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the magic of to me. <laughs> <laughs> and the unicorn healed her limp as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. We had Deus Ex Unicorn. Yeah, yeah. Now it's time for Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. The part of the show where we talk about the villain's motivation and determine if it was evil, stupid, or, you won't ever guess this, misunderstood. I think we better limit it to probably Septimus and Lamia. What? (laughs) No. We have to talk about Tristan. (laughs) And Victoria. I don't think Tristan is... Poised to be the villain of the He's movie. He's not, but I'm saying they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've already determined that he's stupid, so I don't think there's really much more I we can say. He was I, I agreed. He's stupid and evil. Okay, I guess we already kind of covered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this whole podcast has been a discussion of uh, Tristan being pretty stupid and at least unintentionally. I think well, he's all three. Your acknowledgement makes me feel satisfied. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk on. about uh, let's talk about Lamia first. Okay. <laughs> Next. Now, you know, obviously we've already got the issue where Lamia is being portrayed as evil because she's a woman with power. Right. She's living outside of the traditional marriage system. She, you know, witches, you know, she's an unwed woman. Marriage. She lives with her sisters in a very nice place. She's in a very yeah. nice home. They have wealth. Obviously. They're much more powerful than anyone else in the movie. 
right? I mean, yeah. nobody really can compete with... Nobody can hold a candle to them. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're powerful women who live outside of the constraints of society and what might be called decency or civility of not, you know... Morality. Ripping the hearts out of stars. Yep. Um... It's a, pretty, it's a traditional folklore envisioning of powerful women right. as being evil. And Isn't it, it? It does nothing, and the book is the same way. It does nothing to really question that tradition. Isn't it possible that the witches are simply evil because society has pushed them to the periphery? Mm. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Maybe. But, I mean, yeah, I think they're pretty evil. In the conceit <laughs> of the film, they are evil. Uh, I don't... Yeah. But if we're going to take our meta-commentary into account, I think they're misunderstood. Yeah, I think... Well, yeah, building off definitely. the text of the film, I think, pretty evil. Yeah. Evil. And, uh, yeah, I don't think they're stupid. Yeah. No. They, no. They are easily thwarted by other people's stupidity and unpredictability, though. Right. We just expect people not to be dumb, but <laughs> it, they are. They always are. <laughs> <laughs> no plan can survive a common idiot. Yes. They always expect people to do the most strategic thing, and when they do stupid things, they're totally... They, they go no brain dead for a sec. They have no idea what to do. Yep. Uh, all right, well, how about Septimus? Um, also evil. I th- yeah, he, he kills his brothers for his own gain. He kills people working for his brothers. He kills the bishop. Uh, he... He tries to kill the pirate crew. Uh, the only reason he's doing it is because he wants to be in charge. I think he's probably a combination of evil and stupid. Because he probably could have just formed an alliance with his brother, you know, or, or, you know, he never really tries to negotiate or to break out of this kind of box that his father has put him and his brothers into. He never tries to, you know, look at things in any other way other than just doing what daddy said. And he's Mm. so single-minded about in his pursuit when he, and he is actually at the end fight with the witches in their palace. (laughs) Well, mostly in puppet form. But when he comes in there, he sees his sister, Una, that he hasn't seen for 20 years. And he recognizes her, but he doesn't go to her side or... I mean, they from what it seemed like, none of them really seemed to like have a bad rapport with her or anything. They just hadn't seen her for a really long time. Yeah, that could have been like an opportunity for him to have some real character growth. I yeah. figured he was a little happy to see her, but maybe it was just surprise. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought he was happy. I, I really think the character is, you know, definitely evil, but also pretty stupid. So uh, like... Well, I... In regards to the father thing, uh, the father said you did have to be the last male heir in order to become the king. Yeah, but if the king's dead, then, I mean, doesn't the rule have to pass to somebody anyways? And and why do they have to follow the king's decree? The thing is, they were all going for... He's dead. Yeah, they were all going for the necklace, which is what would show that you won the contest and you get to be king. Legitimizes their reign. Yeah, but who, like... Who cares? If, yeah. if the yeah. kingdom is like, you're the king, then, like, why do you need the necklace? Or just dissolve the monarchy. 
That doesn't sound like Septimus to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know the nobility. I don't know how their whole hierarchy works because it's not explained. But if there's other nobility or a council or something that legitimizes the rulers, then if they backed one of the brothers, that would all that's all they would need. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He would have been true. better playing the old Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. I think we nailed it. So, I think it's time for the rating system. Okay. This is the part of the show where we give the movie a rating from 1 to 10 swords. And uh, before we do that, we um, share an epic moment from the film. So, Chelsea, I think you have an epic moment you want to talk about. And then a rating to give the movie. Deus Ex Unicorn. When Tristan leaves Yvain... Uh, tied up to a tree, uh, she's wishing for help, and since she's a star, she's a celestial being. Oh my god. Uh, she's kind of pure of heart, and another pure of heart being comes to rescue her, a unicorn. And, uh, it just touches the, the chain that's holding her to the tree with its horn, its alicorn, and, uh, she's freed, and she rides on its back. It brings her to what it thinks is safety because it's also pure of heart and innocent and it doesn't really understand guile, I don't think. It's the inn. It brings her to the inn that the witch has concocted as a trap. So that was that was an epic moment when the unicorn just swoops in and she's like, get me the fuck out of here. I would have loved to have seen the story derail in another direction from there. But Oh, dude, Unicorn Adventures would have been a perfect, like, just side tangent for her to go off on. So I'm actually kind of loving to hate on this movie. And there are a lot of fun elements about it with, like, the magic and some of the performances... And actually, all the stuff with the royal brothers fighting amongst themselves was actually kind of funny. So, um, I'll give this movie a 5 out of 10 swords. Right down the middle. Yep. Jack, your epic moment and a rating. My epic moment, eh? It's, uh, you know, a bit ironically, since none of us really think the main romance was very good. Nope. I had a scene in the film where I where hope was inspired in me that the romance would become good. When Tristram was on the airship being taught how to ballroom dance and he started dancing with Claire Dane, right? The star. What's her name again? Yvain. Yvain? <laughs> yeah. I thought this might be the scene where, you know, Tristram becomes a better person and the romance could actually form more organically in the film. It didn't happen, but <laughs> that feeling that this scene invoked in me is what made it pretty epic. Seeing her smile while she's glowing and seeing him as a pirate smiling, I thought that was really cute. It made me feel hopeful. So that's my epic moment. Okay. There's a good story hidden in here somewhere. <laughs> if we could just, like, take that essence and apply it throughout their relationship, that'd be sick. And your rating? My rating is going to be a 6 out of 10. 6 swords out of 10. Six, ten swords. Yeah, six, um, you know, pirate swords, cutlasses. Rapiers or cutlasses? Yeah. Yes. Nice. My epic moment has got to be when Tristan is trying to go through the hole in the wall like his father did. Now, his father back in the day used guile and trickery to trick the old man who guards the wall so he could get through. Whew. 
And then that's how he goes and meets Tristan's mother. But when Tristan's trying to go through, he tries to kind of pull the same thing. And suddenly the old man whips out these badass staff fighting techniques and just starts wiping the floor with Tristan. And I love moments like this where, like, the person you least suspect to be, like, the agile warrior monk, like this kind of old, fragile-looking guy, just beats the crap out of him with these stylish flips and... and, uh, Really cool fight staff fighting techniques. The old man was definitely one of my favorite characters. I also like the part where he just gives up on the job. He's like, nope, fuck it. I ain't doing this shit anymore. Too much crazy shit happening at this hole in the wall. Um, I really want to like this movie more than I do. I'm just going to plop right down in the middle of you guys and say five swords and a short sword. It it's got it does a lot of interesting things. It's got a lot of put, like potential that gets totally wasted or not used or it just leans so heavily on very tired tropes um it's from 2007 i don't know i don't want to give it a pass for that or excuse anything for that but it's one of these movies where like it feels like it might be pressing into like subverting some tropes and then instead it just goes whole hog and just buys into the whole um, just standard narrative of these types of romance-based fantasy movies. So it doesn't do what like Princess Bride tends to do, which is kind of subvert stuff in an interesting way. Right. So, yeah, could have been better. Definitely could have been worse. Five and a half swords. Could have been, should have been. Could have been, should have been. All right, team, we're off to the bounty board. What bounties do we have today? Uh, say I love you to the stars. They, uh, they can, they can hear you. They say so. Yeah, Claire Danes, she's watched love her entire life for a thousand years up in the sky. Always wanted to know what it was like. Uh, give them some love. Give the stars some love. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about our number one fan, Casey Cannon. Oh. While we were talking about this movie. Alum of the show. Yes. So I think we should uh, give her website a plug. And you want to know why? You want to know why? I want to know why. Why? Because she's an amazing graphic artist and she did our logo. Dude, our logo is so cool. Yeah. I'm eternally grateful. (laughs) Thank you so much, Casey. So you can head over to her website, caseycannon.design. Why don't you spell that for the listeners? It's C-A-S-E-Y... C A N N O N. What a dot cool design. Spell. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so head over there, see all the cool things that she's designed and created. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, a lot of cool artwork over there. And I'd like to encourage the listeners to give someone they love a hug. Because you know what? Hugs are all right in my book. Make sure yeah. they want the hug, but it's still, it's great if they do. <laughs> that means it's time for Rewriting History, the part of the show where we discuss ideas for a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff of the movie we just watched. Whoa. 
I believe Jack had an idea that Jack. we might build upon. You're revealing all my secrets already, are you? Why'd <laughs> yeah, yeah. you spill the beans? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> a wild, a wild timeline, right? Where uh, Tristan tries to run across the wall. The old man hits him in the head with the staff. Kills Tristan! <laughs> he dies! <laughs> he dies, he brains him. The old man is like, oh fuck! I, oh, I've fuck. done it again! I've done it again! Tristan's head is like 180 degrees the wrong way. His, his like eyeball is rolled out and his brains are everywhere on like the old man's Jesus. staff. And there's like skull chips Wish on it. He's like, <laughs> the old man is like shaken to his core. He's like, I can't go back to jail. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, what's going on there? But you don't get an explanation. Oh, damn. Right? I know, you want it so bad. I do. That'll be a spinoff. Then he knows. Are, do you have more? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. I do. Okay. I do. You keep going. Yes. And then his dad is like, oh, fuck, my son. He didn't even get to become cool like his dad. <laughs> but he's not that concerned, right? Because when he disappeared, he didn't really care. Uh, he helped him disappear, though. I guess that's true. Yeah, but his dad is super cool. He's got charisma up the wazoo. Oh, yes. Up Directly in the wazoo. everyone's wazoo. Up your wazoo. <laughs> and, uh... My wazoo? Yes. Whoa. Yeah. I <laughs> know. He's a really likable dude. And uh, He was likable. Yes. He is... He goes up to the old man, and the old man's like... Don't make me do something bad. I'm so sorry I've taken your son. Don't make me do this. He's like, old man, please, I have to tell his mother. Wait, right? wait, wait. <laughs> the old man is just like, I don't take pleasure in killing, but I'll do what I have to to protect my good yeah. name. <laughs> Why do you make me do bad things? And Jeez. so the, the dad has to use the Babylon candle meant for Tristan, right? Yeah. And he goes to Tristan's mom. Right? Okay. He's like, Tristan's dead. And she's like, no! Why? My boy! My sweet baby boy! Yes. And then uh, the witch, who is uh, the master of of uh, Hakuna Matata. Una? Una, yeah. Oh, yeah. Una Matata, yeah. She was like dishwater Sal. That was yeah, dishwater Sal, not dick water. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, but, uh... <laughs> ooh. <laughs> But, um, yeah, she's like, no, you can't have my slave. And he's like, oh, what if I pay for her freedom? And she's like, what could you have? And then uh, the star falls, right? Or he's like, I saw where a star fell. And she's like, what? Oh, if you bring me that, like, I'll give you her back. Okay. And so he goes and he finds Claire Danes and... <laughs> And he can... The actress. Yes, Claire. <laughs> Where am I? What's happening? <laughs> and he can... Wait, didn't they already make this movie? Yes. But he convinces her to go along with him. Because he's charismatic. He's a gentleman. He's more mature. And uh, he kind of gets what's going on in the world. He knows Tristram is kind of a dummy for trying to go with Victoria. He encourages him not to. So he's oh, just yeah. like, yeah, he probably deserved to die. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, Claire, da yeah, Claire Danes, she's a romantic. She's seen love for a thousand years. He's like, hey, my son died, and I'm trying to reconnect and save his mother. Will you help me? And she's like, ah, 
I'll do it for true love. And we can keep that as a theme in the movie. Nice. Right? And so she's going with him. Then and it these would other more witches. closely match the theme of uh, Princess Bride. Yeah. And then uh, the other witches are coming to get Claire Danes. And he's, like, protecting her in a chivalrous way. Yeah. Because he's being selfless about it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then she can... for her help. Yeah, and then she can respect him for protecting her. And then maybe he could... Uh, I mean, I, do, I don't see him as the kind of guy who would probably deceive her. But so he, if he along did... Along the way... Yeah, yeah. Wait, let's, let's, let's correct for that. Yes. Along the way, while they're traveling together, they're getting to know one, each, uh, one another a little bit better. He tells her what's gonna, what they can expect. He tells her that it's oh, a yes. witch who's holding his love hostage and tries to come up with a way with Yvaine uh, to... Act like there she's going to be in exchange for her, and then like through guile figure out a way to screw over the witch, maybe. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, and then he could like when they're at the bonfire at night, she could be like, "I'm sorry that you lost your son. Do you want to tell me about him?" And then he tells no, her, "No, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> I had a son. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. he tells her about how his son." was a hopeless romantic and didn't have great skills. He could never reach out or talk to the girl that he loved, really. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, my gosh. I could never reach out to anyone before either, and I'm a hopeless romantic. And so she kind of likes the memory of Tristan, but he oh. doesn't come back. He's dead. Yeah. He's dead. <laughs> yeah, but she kind of respects... Deceased. Yeah, she respects who he was when he was alive. <laughs> And then she kind Which of... Which is easy uh, to do because she never got to see how shitty he was. Exactly. You see, that that's their happy ending. <laughs> and, uh, and then she uh, she kind of gets like a bit maybe of a father figure out of Tristan's dad. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Never a, never a father-in-law, though. Because right. uh, Tristan's dead. <laughs> oh, right. Tristan's yeah, dead. Yeah, yeah. Did I mention he got brains? I think you, I think you <laughs> yeah. passingly mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my good. gosh. And then Tristan's dad dances with Robert De Niro's character. Oh, oh I'm liking it. Yes. Yeah. And he I'm figures out Robert That's De Niro great. has like all these women's clothing. And then to make him feel more accepted, he wears a dress also and they oh, dance nice. together. Yes. Or oh or Robert De Niro's wearing a dress and he's, and he's wearing, wearing a like a nice suit. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. he's like, You look lovely. Maybe that maybe That's the white great. and they dance and then the crew's like that's all, Captain. <laughs> Maybe the white suit that uh, Tristan wears. Yeah. The white coat. That'd be yeah. a card cloak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or coat. Yeah, I like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then every time he sees a vein up in the sky, he remembers Tristan. He remembers. Because mm. she... Uh, but every time yeah. he forgets a little bit. Too. Yeah, every oh. time he he's like... Uh, I remember when I lived with my son, Evane. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> and in the in this scenario, Una becomes the rightful ruler, and uh, yes. Tristan's dad is her consort king. Yeah, I meant to say that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. They get married. Yeah. Yeah, and Una's there, and uh, yeah, he's probably really sad over Septimus dying, too. I could imagine him being really bummed about that, actually. He's like, oh, I could have helped him. He... He was raised by a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. I could have shown him that life can be peaceful and loving. Yeah, yeah. I would love it if Septimus had, like... Because uh, this is a respectable, kind of wiser, more charismatic character. Mm -hmm. I'd love it if Septimus kind of, like, listened to him sometimes and, like, second-guessed. 
but he was so driven and he by the actions of murdering his family members he's like no i can't start respecting family now i love this like zen monk character that you've made out of the father like losing his son turns him into this harbinger of peace and love and acceptance yeah dude it's really turning a tragedy into a great opportunity to learn and grow yes dude oh and then they (laughs) they like bring tristan's body to be buried in the royal cemetery (laughs) which they find out that he's of royal blood yeah nice yeah yeah that's great (laughs) all right well i think you nailed it yes yep but that means it's time for can you roleplay it the part of the show where we talk about uh, the movie as if it were an rpg and what types of characters the characters might be and how the magic and the setting and stuff might work in a role-playing game. Yeah, I don't know if there were enough fantasy elements in the <laughs> film for it to fit into <laughs> D&D. It, it's just lousy with magic, uh, so it, it fits pretty well into like a D&D or a oh, Pathfinder setting. Yeah, you're right, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is also so convoluted, I don't think it would make a very good campaign. Yeah, I don't think romance campaigns are... Um, Romance as in, like, the traditional sense of, like, a love story tends not to be great fodder for uh, a campaign. There are elements that you could use to build into an adventure, though, like... Airships. The airships with the pirates that cultivate lightning. That's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. There's some elements you can take. I mean, I think... It's a great setting. Tristan is clearly a human commoner. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I guess he gets, like, a level in Swashbuckler, which means he must have, like, a couple levels of Rogue, maybe, but he's not very good at anything, so I don't know. Probably a fighter. Yeah. And we don't really see much sword. I mean, he kind of just impresses or scares off Humphrey with just a flourish. He doesn't really do anything. I see what you're saying. But I don't see what you're saying. <laughs> because he beats Septimus in a sword fight. Alright. Yeah. I guess. But Septimus, I mean, let's think about this, like, mechanically. Septimus is just a corpse puppet being controlled oh, by Lamia. Fuck. Like, he would not have the the skill of a living, thinking sword fighter. It'd, it'd be like using the most awkward video game controller yeah, it's to true. fight with. And, like, you know, unless... Lami is training with little, uh, like, meat puppets in her spare time. She wouldn't be very good at controlling Septimus's body to fight with. It's true. That part is ridiculous and also funny. Yeah, he is, move- he is quick with that blade, though. I was pretty impressed with it, actually. I was like, oh, damn! <laughs> yeah, yeah, Robert De Niro taught him well. Yeah, the fight, yeah. The fight with the witches at near the end of the movie could be a pretty good epic battle and adventure arc. Yeah, just like the idea, I guess, of like being pursued by a witch, maybe, and then going back to her lair and and fighting her and her, let's call them, weird sisters. Nice. Yeah. And you could um, turn the animals they have in cages all around their uh, domicile uh, into familiars, and maybe they could use them in interesting ways in the fight. Yeah. I'm gonna... Go on a limb and say two divination wizards and a transmutation wizard for the coven. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's true. Yeah, I think they're definitely wizards over warlocks, which you don't get from witches too often. 
But, uh, yeah, I think that's the case. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to turn this into an RPG adventure, it would mostly just be, like, negotiations and not a lot of action. So. Well, yeah, it's true. I think um, if we... I could see a vein going, like, one of two ways. The first one, which I'm, I prefer, is she's an aberration from space. Nice. <laughs> a great a old great one. A great old one. Yes. I love it. Yes. And she's just like... A star spawn, as it were. Yes. She's a star. A massive ball of plasma in space, right? But she manifests as this avatar form. She's just like, oh, what does it mean to be a person? Yeah. And then Tristram's just like, oh, she's pretty. And she's just like, she can supernova at any time. And her emotions make her start to minorly supernova. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, she's probably a celestial, but it's much more fun for her to be an aberration. Yeah. And she can be a friendly aberration. Sathagwa exists. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, maybe she's just curious about what it means to walk around in these flesh meat stalks. It's true. She, yeah, also the stone could be a magic item which like triggers this event happening where oh, it like yeah. the aberration doesn't control it. It, like, forces it into a humanoid body. Neat. Yeah. Or, and this is a much less preferable timeline, Evane is a, just, like, some sort of astral sorcerer, like, celestial. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) If you wanted to make her a player character, she could be, like, an Asimar astral sorcerer. And they're from another plane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe, like like, a void Ganassi. Hell yeah. Just be ready to do a lot of your own writing, because there ain't a lot of meat on these bones. No, it's true. All right, well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap this up. But thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Hey, why don't you go ahead and shoot us an email if you have any questions or comments that are helpful or constructive. Chelsea, what's that email address? What is it? Swords and, spelled out, swordsandsatire at gmail.com. Is that... Swords and satire at gmail.com? Yeah, you got it. Wow, I could send an email to that right now. Yes. From you can my... ask questions, leave comments. But otherwise, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and follow us there for some great memes and to find out what we are posting every satire day. That's a Saturday. Yeah, that's, that's the name that we give to Saturday. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little something we do. Yeah, that's uh, just that's just what we do for the people. Yeah, uh-huh. and you so, can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, we would love it if you would leave us a review. That would be magical. Yeah. <sighs> and thanks for listening, everybody. That's right. And until next time, hail, hail Crom. Crom.